On the run from Johnny Law. It ain't no trip to Cleveland. Yeah, okay, cool. Well, uh, I'll just record on my end as well for backup. Yeah, there we go, rocking and rolling. All right, guys, welcome into a special edition of The Analysis, where Matt and Bob, we're here to pod. Today we're going to be talking to Robert Yeoman, cinematographer, Academy Award nominee, BAFTA Award nominee, and also a winner of the Independent Spirit Awards for director of photography. You're listening to The Robert, thank you so much for joining us. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited to talk to you. Great. How'd you have me on? Fantastic. I've had this circled on my calendar before we've even communicated because I'm so excited for the opportunity to have a conversation with you. It, this is a little tradition of mine when we have guests on that I admire. I wear a t-shirt from some of their work. So this oh, is there today. you go. Nice. I have the Very Team nice. Zizu shirt on today. <laughs> That's actually great. As, right. as Klaus says in that movie, this is not the Ned show. This is the Steve Zizou show. And this is not the Bob Panalone show. This is the Robert Yeoman show. So okay. Okay. really excited to, to talk to you about your career. I admire your film so much. And hopefully you can break down for me just cinematography because it's something that I've always felt like I admired but would love to get a deeper understanding of, of just the intricacies of how it works. Okay. So let's just get started with... My buddy Chris, who's your nephew, Chris Yeoman, he took me to my first Bears game in, we tailgated together at uh, Soldier Field. So you're a Chicago guy. Yeah. How do you end up out in, in LA, rubbing elbows with, and working on some of the films? How did you get to cinematography in general in your life? Well, that's a long, boring story, but uh, I grew up in the suburbs and... Uh, you know, it started really uh, when I was a kid, uh, believe it or not, there was no internet. There was none of the cable TV. There was none of those things we have today. And so Friday nights, when we were kids, we would all meet at the local movie theater just to get out of the house and we would see movies. And then we'd all go get ice cream together or go hang out and do whatever. So in that process, I saw a lot of really great movies. Uh, I remember very vividly seeing Psycho and In the Heat of the Night and Lawrence of Arabia and those types of films. And, you know, they put a big, strong impression on me and I became kind of a movie buff. But, you know, uh, where I grew up, no one was really in the film industry. I never even thought about that as a career. And uh, so I went off to college. I was at Duke University and um, uh, I was started in pre-med actually, uh, thinking I might be a doctor, but after a semester, <clears throat> that was not for me at all. And I kind of kicked yeah. around quite a bit there, not really sure, this was in the 70s, you know, not really sure what I wanted to do. And again, not thinking I'd be in the film industry. And at that time, Duke had no film classes. They do now, but not then. Back then it was, you know, USC, UCLA, and NYU, and that was about it. Um, of course, now we have tons of film schools out there. Um, but uh, then I got involved. They had a, a, 
society that showed foreign films on Saturday nights. And through a friend, I got involved in that. And we would watch all these French New Wave films, uh, films from Italy, all over the world. And it kind of opened my eyes a little bit. And, and I, I started seeing films in a different way. And then uh, one weekend I drove over to Raleigh, North Carolina to see A Clockwork Orange. And I just was so mesmerized by that film. I remember when I left, I said, okay, I, I want to do this. I somehow get involved in it. I didn't know anybody and I didn't know anything about it. So I thought the best thing was to go to film school. And so I applied to USC and some, I don't know how it happened, but I got in. <laughs> and uh, so I came out here to LA. And the nice thing about, I tell most students about film schools, is it allows you to try different things. In the real world, it's much more difficult. You can shoot, you can direct, you can edit, you can do sound. Uh, you know, and I tried everything and I found that I was most comfortable with the camera and I seemed to be good at it. So that's where it really kind of started being a cinematographer was uh, as a graduate student at USC. And I got out and kind of, to make a very long story short, just started working, doing anything for free and just gradually working my way up the ladder, you know. That's cool. I always assumed that cinematographers kind of found their way into film through photography or maybe focusing yeah. on more of that. Uh, but you were just kind of trying everything and just decided that's what you liked the most. That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I always had a little camera as a kid. I can't say I was, uh, you know, that big of a photographer as a kid, but I loved doing the photo still photography. And, and most cinematographers, you're correct, love still, still photography. Many of them came from still photography as kids. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that I enjoy when I'm not shooting movies and things. I, I, I'm a photography freak. I love whether I use, uh, I have Leica cameras or I use my iPhone, you know, I mean, I just love taking pictures and um, something I've always enjoyed and gotten a big kick out of. So, you know, I've, I'll always do that. I think it's just something I really enjoy. Are there any still photographers or people in that medium that influence your work on something like a Wes Anderson film? Uh, well, there's so many great ones out there. I mean, certainly Cartier-Bresson, was someone that I, uh, you know, very early on latched on to. In fact, I, uh, many years ago, I actually bought a signed Cartier-Bresson photo. <laughs> oh, wow. uh, but, you know, there's so many out there. Uh, this guy, Bernie Himes, went around to uh, uh, Mississippi and to photographed all these juke joints, which were fantastic pictures. Uh, Robert Frank, uh, The Americans, you know, I give that book away a lot to people as gifts. Um, you know, there's, you know, there's so many out there and it depends on, on the, the movie, like with Wes, for instance, I had a book uh, called Havana by a photographer named Robert Polidori. And it had these great old shots that he had taken in Havana of just people's rooms and, you know, exteriors of old buildings and the colors and the compositions, I mean, were so wonderful. And I, I got a copy for Wes and he was very taken by it. And, and you know, you have the Life Aquatic shirt on. Uh, a lot of 
the plan design and choices, you know, were influenced by that book. I'm not saying he copied them, but he certainly looked at them and, and you know, he loved the book as much as I did. And, and I'm sure it had some sort of a impact, whether consciously or not, on, on his choices in those things. And so, um, you know, uh, we can, we often as cinematographers, we use still photographs as examples when we talk with directors, um, you know, do you like this lighting? Do you like this composition? You know, whatever. And, and so it's very frequent that we would use still photographs in our dialogues with directors, for sure. To come up with a look for a film. It's very, very common. You, so you have shot all nine of Wes Anderson's live action films, and we can kind of dive into that a bit more. It, is that kind of, is it a cinematographer's dream to work with a guy? I mean, the composition is so detailed. Oh it's so God. fun. The, the colors, the, the lighting you use, it's really soft. You bring out the colors a lot. To go back and forth, like, like I mean, to compare the experience with Gus Van Sant or your work with, uh, you know, the Militia McCarthy movies with Paul Feig, um, well, that must be so different. I mean, it, it must, is it just like a blast to, to, to work with these guys? I mean. Yeah, I mean, I'm fortunate. Um, you know, Wes is one of those directors who writes everything and, that we shoot and he has a very strong vision. And all of us that are there, uh, including the actors, we're there to support that vision. And certainly, you know, Wes is open to our ideas and he'll listen to us. But in the end, he he does what he thinks is best for his film. And I find that in today's world, there are very few directors and maybe forever, but I'm not, I shouldn't just qualify as today's world, who really come at a film with their own very distinct vision. A lot of directors will come and they'll want to shoot everything from multiple angles and multiple cameras and then they'll figure out the movie later in the editing room and, and that's a different kind of shotgun approach whereas Wes is very clear and just about every shot we shoot ends up in the movie you know and mm -hmm. this, this wow that's shot is for this particular moment and this particular shot is for that particular moment and and so he's because of that he's able to make his movies relatively quickly and cheap more less expensive than uh, another director might with the same material you know it seems that the budget is very lean and you guys are really creative that just the creativity that must be on those sets is is part of the appeal and, and draws people that appreciate that to those movies i mean there's you're very aware of the 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 fans and the, the cult following that you guys have when your movies come out. It's just, you, we're going opening night, right? Yeah. I, I, I just love that. Can you take me through a little bit of just how you met Wes and got in that community? Cause you were like Matt said, you were part of even bottle rocket, the first movie and is no. this 25 year old whippersnapper making you a note. How did that all come about? Yeah. That note well, is hilarious. It's, he wrote me a note, which I still have. <laughs> and, frame that thing. Put it on the fridge or something. You know, yeah, I'm sure. Well, I was thinking I should put it in a frame. It's in a scrapbook right now. But, you know, <laughs> I, I, it was like, uh, you know, dear Mr. Yeoman, I, I wrote this thing called Bottle Rocket, and here's the script. If you like it, I would love to meet you, blah, blah, blah. And, and it was all very handwritten in typical Wes handwriting. You know? I had no idea. 
I had no idea that was his handwriting. It's it could not be more him. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. And uh, if you see his drawings, they are uh, he, you know his, his storyboards are hilarious. I mean, uh, but anyway, he sent me the note, and I met him, and he was like you say, a twenty five year old kid who had never done anything, and but we just kind of hit it off, you know, and uh, uh, you know we were discussing movies, movies we liked, movies we didn't like. And uh, sometimes more important, the movies we don't like together. Oh, yeah, I hate that too. It's a great yes. unifier for film nerds. Yeah, well, we, you know, I'm not going to mention any titles, but we, you know, we, <laughs> we really were drawn to, to give you an example, even though it probably has nothing to do with Bottle Rocket, we were both big Chinatown fans. And, oh, yeah, uh, okay. and we've Incredible Chinatown at length, you know, yeah. and maybe has no influence on Bottle Rocket, but that was something that we both really enjoyed. And, um, so he hired me and um, I came down to Texas and basically he and Luke and Owen Wilson were, uh, all, they were all close friends. He knew Owen from uh, his days at University of Texas and they had all kind of were the creative forces behind the film. And um, I just happened to hit it off with all these guys and you know, we, so far, uh, they were all quite a bit younger than me, quit PMS, but uh, we just all hit it off and uh, creatively and had a great time and hung out. And you know, we made the movie, and it was a, just a real fun kind of experience. And so, from there, we just kept doing more and more movies together. And uh, as you know, that was it. So, what, what do you think he saw in uh, Drugstore Cowboy, which kind of has its own cult following now? But like, he really liked that movie and was like, I need that guy to go do something completely different. Yeah, because they're totally um, different styles, right? Yeah, or it feels like it. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. but he, he did love Drugstore Cowboy, a lot of people did. And, uh, but he, you know, I guess he's, we just were kind of a kindred spirit creatively. And, and That's cool. We, we hit it off and, and you know, I've done other movies. People now just say to me, oh, all you can do is center frame everybody. And, you know, but, you know they think that's all I can do. But then if yeah. you look at a movie like Love and Mercy, which I did, uh, Drugstore Cowboy, Squid and the Whale. I mean, you know, I can do other kinds of movies too. And But like actors, cinematographers are often kind of uh, pegged. Typecast. Typecast, yeah. exactly. And like after Bridesmaids, I got every kind of raunchy Hollywood <laughs> uh, script, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's like, okay, I've been there now and, and I've, I've done other movies like that, but I try not, I try to move around and not just mm -hmm. do four movies in a row like that because then all of a sudden that's all you get. You don't get the other movies. And so I try to do small indie movies and then a big studio movie and, you know, just kind of, Though I'm, uh, these days I'm much more drawn to the small indie movies, to be honest with you. That was my next question. Is yeah. is obviously you're you're dealing with these different types of experiences, and while I'm sure it's nice to have the budget and the multiple angles and stuff that you have with with a big budget movie like Bridesmaids versus maybe uh, or block or um, uh, Ghostbusters, right? Right, the, right? The the new Ghostbusters that came out versus something. That, that Wes is working on or some of these indie films like a Noah Baumbach, right? So it's, it, but, but there's probably more of a creative challenge with the indie, I'm assuming. Very much so, very much so. And, and when you do a movie like Ghostbusters, it's, 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 in all honesty, it was a little frustrating for me because 
there's so many chiefs. <laughs> in yeah, too many cooks yeah. in the kitchen. Yeah, and 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 so everyone from the studio has to weigh in and approve everything. And and I, you know, I don't want to badmouth studio movies, but you know, it's just it's a different process. You know, like mm -hmm. the marketing people will come and they'll put their two cents worth in, or somebody else. You know, and. Whereas with West, the, the, it, it just stops with him, you know, or Noah Baumbach. You know, they're making the movie they want, or Gus, or people like that, the Coen brothers, Quentin Tarantino. You know, they, mm -hmm. they make the, the movie the good they movies. want. You know, yeah, and, the good they, You don't have to pass it up to some executive and make sure he's okay with it, you know. And if, if right. West says, uh, no, we're not doing it this way, we're doing it that way, that's what we do, you know. And, and so it's more fun. It's so interesting to me because you're talking about your influences and how you might get typecast or, oh, he can only do the, the center frame. But I, I think that part of the approach to Wes and some of the appeal is each movie has its own little influence, right? Where you've got like German filmmaking happening in this type of film and then kind of French filmmaking happening over here. And, and can you just talk to me about what some of your favorite experiences have been on some of these projects and how that even has kind of gotten in your DNA as a filmmaker? Sure. Um, what Wes does, and he has, he didn't do this right from the beginning, but it's been fairly, you know, a long time now, is uh, we, he assembles a library of DVDs, books, magazines, photos, and anybody on the crew can go check something out if they want. Um, and what we've been doing the last several movies is uh, he'll go say, like the last movie we were in France in a little town called Angoulême. And he would just buy out some boutique hotel, just for starters. So cool. And so we, Wes lives there, I live there, the producers live there, production designer lives there, you know, costume designer and all the actors. And every night after work, uh, Wes and I go to the editing room, which is in the hotel, and we look at our previous dailies, and then we all go down and meet everybody downstairs. And no one else is in there but us, and we all have a glass of wine, and then we go to dinner, and they put a big table out, and we all sit and have dinner together, and it's you'll be sitting at dinner with, you know, Bill Murray and Rafe and, you know, Willem Dafoe and Tilda Swinton and <laughs> whoever else is there, you know, and everybody is just... Sounds like a real bore. Yeah, no, everybody's treated equally, you know, and, and there's no favoritism. These movie stars can't bring their, their, their entourages. No, there's none of that. And, yeah. and everyone just comes and, you know, everyone has the same room. You know, I mean, the rooms are all kind of the same and it's, it's very nice that way. And you get to know people like that. And, and, and that's where, you know, uh, the library exists and and so on our on the last movie the french movie it was a dispatch. lot of french the french dispatch there was a lot of french movies uh viva savi godard and uh uh the fire within which is louis mall and there's just a big group of of french films that i watched all of them you know wow and and, and uh it's just not only were most of them i hadn't seen uh Diabolik was there. I had never seen that before. And, uh, but it also kind of introduces me to how those movies were being shot and, and whether they uh, affect me consciously or unconsciously, I, I now have those in my head. And, and, um, and Wes, of course, knows these movies backwards and forwards. And, and uh, 
we were doing a scene once with Francis McDormand and Timothy Chalamet, and we, you know, before we start, Wes always says, well, how, what, what do you think about lighting? And I always give him my ideas. And, um, and so then he said, well, I was thinking more of this, you know, and I, and it reminded me of the movie Viva Savi, and I just went, Viva Savi, and he said, yes, Viva Savi, and I knew exactly what he was thinking, you know, and, and so that's how I lit it, you know, and, and, uh, so it's not only am I getting a free education, <laughs> yeah, really, <laughs> but, I, but I'm also learning. You know, I'm learning so much about the French New Wave, and that was our, our our the movies that we referenced on the last one. To give you an example, like in India, we looked at movies that were shot in India. We looked yeah. at Indian movies. You know, I mean, uh, and you know, each movie has its own set of of influences that that Wes will bring and and expose us all to. So we're all kind of traveling on the same train <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah well that's probably why he likes to work with a lot of the same people and you kind of create that uh camaraderie um i i've heard you mention this in interviews before about how you need to i mean you're essentially in lockstep with the production designer the costume designer yeah. because they're all i mean especially with the wes anderson movies they're it's all such a, a vibe and a and a, and a aesthetic that uh, you give a lot of credit to those guys and it must be fun to have people like at the height of their craft working right next to you. And you can, you have this beautiful intricate set to shoot. Um, are yeah. you involved in the process of, of that or do, do people go their separate ways and come together? Uh, well, what happens is when typically uh, uh, a production designer would show up uh, before me uh, on the location. And recently it's been Adam Stockhausen. We've had different guys through the years. Adam lives in New York and uh, he would go in early before me and they would do a lot of the preliminary scouting and a lot of the, you know, kind of start to do the designs of the builds and things. And then I would come and I would go with Adam and Wes to every location and we would talk about it and I would put my two cents worth in. And, and then I tend to spend on any movie I'm on, whether it's Wes or not, a lot of time in the art department, I usually love the, production designers are usually a lot of fun to hang out with. And, you know, I, they build these little models of things sometimes and we can go look <laughs> at the model together and I can say, oh, what if this happened or this, you know, and, and uh, if I can get to them early enough, they can do things that uh, accommodate me a little bit for lighting or whatever. And uh, luckily uh, the one, the really good production designers and the ones I've been working with Wes, they, they think about, camera and lighting some nice production designers will just design a set and then you go yeah i'm not gonna like this, this is ridiculous <laughs> but, uh but you know adam and mark freeberg david wasco and some of the other ones we work with uh they really consider what my problems are and try to help help me out as much as they can and they often solve my problem before i bring them up you know and, and uh particularly in today's world where we're becoming more and more using practical lighting, you know, uh, and, and, and we have to design the set in such a way that the practical lights work for us as well as them. So um, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So what are some of the challenges? Cause there's, there's these unique things that happen in a Anderson movie where you get something like, let me tell you about my boat. 
and, you, and yeah. we walk the boat or we get these tracking shots where we're learning about the Moonrise family or the oh, Tenenbaums like, and we're, we're tracking. Yeah, the Tenenbaums crash scene, yeah. What are, yeah. How do you, what's the process of taking on something? Like Wes comes to you with that. How, are you, how do you just yes and that and get after <laughs> trying to shoot it? Because it seems so complex, these tracking shots when we watch them as a viewer. Yeah, so uh, intricate and precise. Yeah, well, like when you build, like for instance, when we're building that, uh, tracking shots that open up Moonrise Kingdom that you were referring to, Adam will, that, those were actually built because the house we liked, we could always shoot in the exterior because the rooms were too small and they wouldn't let us come in and do what we wanted to do anyway. So we shot the exterior of the house at a real location, but all the interiors were built on a stage. So I knew that Wes would want to travel and then, you know, travel across to make a 90 degree thing and then a 90 degree thing and then travel back. and. So once Adam had kind of designed the space, he, we put tape marks down and then we walk it with an actual uh, finder where you put the lens that we're going to shoot with on the finder. And then we and so when I zip pan over 90 degrees this way, I say, oh, the walls have to move a little bit this way. And so that they have to make those accommodations before oh, wow. they build it. And if you watch that sequence again, you'll notice that there's a little rain outside the windows. Well, you know, the thing I've learned about Wes is you never just say, oh, yeah, this is how we always do it, because that's guarantees you're not going to do it that way. And in that particular way, I, I made that mistake. And, 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 and I said, oh, we'll just put rain. Typically in a movie set, what they do is they put rain bars outside the windows that just kind of rain onto the window. And you put a backlight on it and it looks like rain. And then there's something down below that catches the water. So that was what I was going to do. And Wes says, no, 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 no. I don't want to do it that way. Let's come up with something else. So we did a lot of research and we got these old, what they call Leco lights that they use in theater. And they have these little scrims that they put in front of them that kind of rotate around the lights. And it <laughs> kind of looks like rain, you know? And if you play with them, you can get faster or slower. And you could also play with the focus to get them really sharp or maybe a little bit out of focus. So we did a lot of... Uh, tests with those and Wes really liked them so all that rain you see on the windows is all fake it's all done by lights so I mean you know there's yeah, protection. yeah so there's always things like that that we have to kind of come up with and the scene with uh let me show you my boat if you remember Bill Murray standing there and there's a, a a painting of the boat and and then that goes up and then you reveal the real boat and the painting of the boat is exactly because the boat, the, the boat that we built was way in the background. So it's exactly those dimensions. So we we kind of came up with this old idea. We there's a movie called One from the Heart that Francis Coppola directed. And there was a lot of scrims that they fly up and down in there. And if you throw throw light on the scrim and keep the background dark, it looks like that's the wall. And then the scrim goes up and you take the light off the scrim and then you put light on the background and you know it, it becomes a whole different space. So that was kind of the idea we came up with and the art department went in and you know they, they actually traced the boat on the scrim and then they painted it and everything and then we lit it and we flew the scrim and you see the boat in the background and you know so it's kind of an old theatrical trick really. Yeah, yeah. very theatrical. It's really the, the curtains and Rushmore and yes. yeah, the scrims in the background. Those yeah, were real it's... curtains, you know, and, and they were small and we would put them in front of the lens uh, you know, and, and we also <laughs> shot them high speed because they were small. We wanted them to kind of have a flow when they opened, you know? Yeah. So we were actually shooting those as they were opening 96 frames. And then we, we ramped the camera back down to normal 
so when it, it's 96 frames and then it opens and it's normal frames, normal frame rate at that point. So, you know, a lot of it was kind of homemade type stuff. And Wes That's loves so that cool. Kind of and, and forced perspectives. He really gets into those kinds of things where, and, and I think, you know, since he's been doing the animated movie, you know, the, the Fantastic, Fantastic Fox, Fox you know, and, and I'm not part of those films, but he's done a lot of work with miniatures and things. And, and he gets kind of excited about doing things like that. So, which when we first started, there was none of that, you know, mm -hmm. it was all, yeah. everything was in camera. There was no trickery involved. And, and now there's, there's more and more things where, they might slap a fake facade on, on a something or, you know, uh, we would never do that in the early days. But now as, as technology has, has evolved and certainly digital, you should film on everything. Um, but, you know, the digital technology has become so amazing these days that they can go in later and they can fix so many things that we could never have done 20 years ago. So it still gives you this feel of a play, which is interesting because you don't have any experience directly in the theater me and matt are some a couple of theater nerds too but definitely mm -hmm. a wes anderson and, and some of the length of the scenes and some of the tracking that matt and i have researched about your movies there's you want it to feel like a live action play sometimes yeah they do and it's very symmetrical and proscenium like you know like a play and uh you know uh he tends to play a little wider we don't usually bang in for super close-ups like this you know and and he he likes to have all the actors in the frame you know we, we fill those frames and so they tend to be a little looser than a lot of movies which are cut a lot of super close-ups cut back and forth and, you know yeah that's not Wes's style, really. So. Well, because he uses, even in close-up, he's using the wide lens, right? Just he's, to capture as much as the sets as possible in the environment. Exactly. Yeah. You've, I mean, you must have gotten really great at the, the handheld zip pans. I mean, you're, you're oh, just yeah. doing that freehand? I mean, that's, that's yeah, such... Yeah, it's a such... fluid head, and, uh, and I've often demonstrated it. Uh, you know, uh, basically the key is... You know, the camera is on a tripod or a dolly and it's a fluid head and you put your body in the most comfortable position. So that means that you begin all twisted up like a fan. Oh, okay. And then you come back around right to <laughs> And it's like your body finds that natural position and, and that's kind of how I've been doing it and, and it works, you know, I mean, I don't hit it every time, but uh, you know, it's, it's just it's how- It's a great I, party trick. Yeah, you set your feet and your body to where you, you feel really natural. And then you beginning, I'm way over here. And then I have to do this. And then sometimes I have to do that. So then my feet have to move around on the dolly, you know, and it's, it's, it can be really tricky. And, you know, it's, uh, it's not easy, but get a good core workout, I guess. Yeah, you do. You do. You got to, you know, it's <laughs> but when you operate on these movies, it's a little bit of a, you know, I, I won't say it's athletic but it's you know it's a little bit of a workout yeah no especially camera it's not working. Easy. It's, it's not easy. you know so uh, but you know i've been doing it a long time i actually love operating so uh, i i enjoy it yeah i enjoy it. so it's a challenge get, yeah you get to be a fly on the wall for all of these great collaborative moments between wes and the actor too i mean you're right there you're the camera right. you're there's no movie without the camera do yeah. you have any favorite stories of him collaborating with with people and i know also he uses non-actors sometimes are there any times where you're just kind of in awe of 
his work with the performers? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not going to bust some of the actors, but uh, one of my favorite West stories was uh, on The Life Aquatic. And um, uh, we designed a shot where at the beginning of the film, they, they show Bill Murray's movie and the, the, the doors open and he comes out and he's it's a long dolly shot and he's walking towards camera and this woman reporter kind of joins him and starts asking him a lot of questions and it all plays in one shot and the woman was not an actor she came from fashion a paris fashion person and uh she froze up i mean and and to her you know to be fair to her it was a huge shot it was like hundreds of extras we were at the oh, Naples no. opera house i mean it was a big deal a big deal big shot and i know that any other director would have said okay we're not getting this we'll shoot the two shot i'll shoot a single of bill i'll shoot a single of her we'll figure it out later just to get her lines i mean any other director if i was directing that that's probably what i would have done you know but wes he just sticks to his guns and he's like, if this is what I want to do, this is what I want to do. And he always sits on the dolly. So it's me operating focus puller and Wes, three of us on the dolly. And uh, I just watched him pull a performance out of this woman who was scared shitless, who, you know, couldn't remember any of her lines. And we shot it a bunch of times, but he finally, if you can see the movie, it was one shot and and i was i was so impressed that he didn't panic and even you know bill murray's looking at me like <laughs> <laughs> you know? and uh mm. you know we're all like go oh, no no oh no but i watched him do it and i'll never i was i've never seen a director do that and he he just got it out of her and he didn't panic he was just very calm and you know he just i was so impressed by that you know i mean he uh you know, he gets, I'll tell you one kind of funny story that maybe I shouldn't, but, you know, a lot of times the actors, <laughs> No one's listening. Uh, yeah, well, hopefully someone's listening, but, uh, you know, a lot, of times the actors, a lot of times the actors, you know, you know, they have, I took someone like Rafe, Rafe Fine. Yeah. And, you know, but Wes, everything is all set up, you know, so we set up this really long dolly shot and and Rafe's like well you know i think i play it here and i do this and wes is like no no maybe you could just walk and walk and, and, and you talk and you, da, 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 and you end right here and rafe looked at him and said oh how convenient right where your dolly track stopped <laughs> <laughs> so he knew you know uh this all had been you know he kind of felt a little bit squeezed in by that but wes got what he wanted you know and and he always does and you know but the actors generally love him anyway and and you know, there's sometimes a discussion about certain things, but um, it's rare that there's any kind of tension with the actors. Almost never. They're, they're, yeah, they're, you you can kind of feel that in the film. I think I I, I wanted to ask you is you've worked on a lot of comedies, be it indie or studio or otherwise. Yeah. How do you keep a straight face? I mean, like the 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 Ray Fine scene. <laughs> the Ray Fine, what what he's doing in. Uh, in Grand Budapest and then the Melissa McCarthy stuff, that's got to be, I mean, the improv comedians, that's got to be a real, I mean, it's what, what, what's your biggest break? I mean, I, or is it all, do the laughs come out in the rehearsals or? Uh, no. Well, the thing is so many of the movies I did with Paul were kind of improvs and you have Melissa, you have, uh, uh, you know, Kristen Wiig, 
Yeah. You know, we have all these people who are amazing improv people. And, uh, uh, and I did a movie called Get Him to the Greek, which had Russell Brand. And oh, yeah, F- Feel the Furry Wall. Yeah, with Jonah Hill. And uh, Russell Brand, his, his mind just works like, I don't know how his mind works. And he would come up with the most crazy stuff just on the fly, you know. And, and when we shoot those movies with Paul, we always use two cameras, sometimes three. Like if you and I are having a conversation, we have a camera on you and a camera on me because it's so difficult to recreate these because imp- so much of it's improv. I mean, they have a script and they generally do the script, not always, but, uh, but they can go riffing off the script and tell another direction sometimes. And, and uh, so it can get pretty crazy sometimes. And uh, yeah, and, and you're trying not to laugh. Or, yeah. yeah. But, Have yeah. you ever personally ruined uh, like a long tracking shot? <laughs> <laughs> wow, the camera's moving, uh, but, just giggling. Ah! <laughs> uh, but you know, sometimes I'm trying not to laugh. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, but uh, it's it's sometimes everybody's cracking up. In the right, show. right. Yeah. You know, My next so. question was, uh, who's been your favorite actor to watch, and why is it Kumar Palana, aka <laughs> Pagoda? Which. <laughs> I love Pagoda. Yeah, no, but it, it sounds like you, you, you love watching all the performers. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, if I had to say a favorite, I mean, it, it, there's no one particular one. I, certainly Ray Fiennes is an amazing actor. I mean, uh, and I, last, I like Francis McDormand. I mean, all the, you know, Jeff Goldblum. I mean, there's so many. Oh, people. gosh, Real, um, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Matt, Hayes, Matt Hayes is a big Francis McDormand fan. Francis McDormand is like the nicest, sweetest person, and so professional, and just so nice. Not no ego as far as anything. But Jeff Goldblum will come to the set, and within a day, he knows everybody's name on the set, and uh, and he remembers it. He's got a brain like that, you know. Uh, 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 Yes, yes. Uh, He's a guy. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know. He is so funny. He is, he's very funny. And, and I remember on a Grand Budapest hotel, uh, you know, he, he's like, uh, Hey, uh, who, which, which guy is this guy? You know, Joe, uh, Joe, I said, see that guy, that's him. He goes, okay, now I got them all. And he does. Oh, he I, got all. I got them all. And I, I, Joe, the gaffer, I've got, I've got them all. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did that guy just throw out my cat? <laughs> Yeah, he's he's a real deal, and uh, but funny, and uh, just kind of a crazy guy, but always smiling, always happy, and you know. You get to work with yeah. a lot of different crews, though. Speaking of gaffers, right? Because you you get different crews for the different scenes or the different uh, places that you guys shoot at. For, for yeah, I, I usually I, I I work. When I first started shooting, I always bring a focus puller, uh, my guy John, who I had for years, but. Uh, you know, I find that particularly when you go to other countries, it's almost to my advantage to hire the locals if you can get good ones. Because if you're a French gaffer, you bring your crew. And if you're an American gaffer going to France, now all of a sudden you got to find a crew. And uh, the crew... Of the hey, a translator. Gaffer, yeah, and a translator. Well, the crew of the French gaffer is going to go with him. He's going to get another job. You know, and they're going to go with him. They're not going to come work for the American guy on one job, you know. So it also exposes me to how people do things differently in other countries, which I really enjoy, you know. And, and 
um, you know, I've worked everywhere and you just kind of see how there's a universal language amongst film crews. Certainly, you know, we all kind of do the same thing, but there's different ways that we do it. And I learn a lot by working that way. And I did Mamma Mia too. I was the only American. It was all English people. And they were supposed, some of them were supposed to be American. And I was kind of the onset translator. They'd say, hey, uh, uh, how would you say this, you know, in America? Because <laughs> they were all English, you know. And I, I, I'd, 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 say, well, I'd probably say this, you know. And they would go, okay, okay. And that's what they would do. <laughs> you know, I felt like a little bit like, shit, I don't want to do this. But, you know. It's like I Colin, so Colin Firth gives you, it's like, I, I said it wrong because human told me it was that Yeah, way. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it was mainly uh, Lily James who played the lead. She was very British and she's supposed to be young Meryl Streep. And, uh, you know, she did a great job if you've never seen the movie. But, uh, you know, she was often asking me, mm-hmm. well, how would you say this if you were American? Because she would say it the way a British Brit would say it. You know? Right, yeah. That's funny. Are are you are you a big Bill Burroughs fan, Robert? Was it kind of a a thrill for you to get to film him? I mean, how, that's Burroughs, his only yeah. film appearance. Yeah, uh, I was a big fan. Well, I won't say beforehand I was big, but I became a big fan. And mm-hmm. I actually, uh, after the movie, about a year later, I went to Burroughs's house with Gus Van Sant uh, to film him. There's a, a video Gus made called Thanksgiving Day Prayer. And we went to his house and uh, I, on the way there, I had read on the airplane at the People magazine about the, the Brando murders, Cheyenne Brando or something. Oh, like yeah. That. And Bill had not heard about these things, so I was telling him the story. So he was very much ingratiated, and um, we were sitting around his living room. It was Gus and Gus's boyfriend, and Bill Burroughs and his boyfriend, and myself. And uh, he had a uh, a Brazilian blowgun that he would shoot darts at his front door. And we were all drinking, you know, really strong cocktails, and he was shooting darts at his front door. And then we went out back and he had a barn kind of, and this is in Lawrence, Kansas, and we were throwing knives at the barn. <laughs> oh my God. This sounds like a Wes wow. Anderson thing. That's... Yeah. And we're all drunk, you know, throwing knives and stuff. But uh, yeah. I mean, Some but... guys uh, spread eagles being spun around the dark. <laughs> it didn't get taken that far, but believe me, oh. it was kind of crazy. And, uh, you know, I, I just loved his voice. And I remember when we were shooting. Yeah, so unique. Yeah, yeah, well, and, and I remember there was this one, and every time he would look, I'd look over at Gus and we'd both start laughing because it was just so funny listening to him. Uh, but, you know, the guy's amazing and certainly, uh, you know, in the Hall of Fame as far as yeah. beat writers go, for sure. Beat writers and junkies. And just, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. So you, you did the one-off with Gus. Uh, I mean, is there, wait, how, did you, how did you get to know him? Was that just kind of a, he had seen you do, uh, remind me, the, uh, your breakout uh, project well, there, uh, what, uh, to live and die in LA? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Uh, he had done a movie called Melanoche, which they shot for like $100,000. And, and Wow. He, his roommate or his buddy from college, Gus went to RISD, was his DP, uh, Eric Edwards. And then there was a guy, John Campbell, who had also shot some stuff up. They lived, they all lived up in Portland. 
And Gus had wanted them to do the movie, but the producers were like, no, these guys don't have enough experience to do this. No, you gotta get somebody else. He says, well, I don't know anybody else. So they said, one of the producers said, well, I just shot a video for the Talking Heads. And the guy that shot that was kind of cool. You want to meet him? And Gus said, okay. So they flew me up to Portland. And uh, I met Gus and we kind of hit it off. And, um, you know, we had a good time making the movie. I mean, you know, hung out all the time. And uh, But he also said his next movie, My Own Private Idaho, he said, listen, no offense. I mean, but. I want to hire my buddies, John and Eric. Oh, okay. And then, yeah. and I said, please don't take it personally, but I wanted them on this one. These are my, my, my mates, yeah. you know? And uh, so, you know, um, you know, I want to, I want to use those guys. And so then those guys shot his next, one of them operated, one of them lit. And then they, they shot two or three movies for him. And then he went, Harris Savides and went in another direction, but you know, um, so it was kind of a, you know, uh bum me out but at the right. same time i you know i understood why and it's, it's it was not personal i mean and anybody who looks at drugstore cowboy including gus have got to be happy with how it looked i mean it looked great uh, so yeah you know, uh, but that got quite a bit of buzz i mean the independent spirit awards and that sort of stuff and i i was kind of like oh where's the disconnect how come he wasn't gus van sant's guy after kind of yeah. winning the, the well, but uh, yeah, yeah. those guys—they were his buddies. And, you so know, instead of shooting Goodwill Hunting, you were available to do Wes Anderson. There yeah, yeah I guess that's how it works, and and that's not uncommon in in the business. And 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 you learn not to take it personally. Um, you know, just sometimes, like with Noah Baumbach, I did one movie, and then he hired hired some but he didn't hire anybody back from Squid and Whale. So it's like. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, sometimes they just want to start with a whole fresh group of people and that's their decision. And, and I was bummed out about that. And I even talked to Wes about it because Wes and Noah are good friends. And Wes was like, you know, you made a great movie with Noah. Just move on. Don't hold it personally. And, and you know, it took me a while, but I kind of came along with that, that way of thinking. And, you know, it's it's I'm not the only one that's ever happened to. It happens to everybody. So you just, Yeah, right. The what if game in Hollywood is really interesting. Like what in graduate, for example, I mean, th those were the third choice actors. So I just uh -huh. cool to like, Oh, I wonder what this would have looked like had he shot this or, but he wouldn't yeah. have been available for this. And yeah, what happens with actors, cinematographers, you know, everybody, you know, you know, I mean, uh, Wes will work with an actor who will do a fantastic job and then we'll never see that guy again, you know? Yeah. And, it, and I'm sure that guy's thinking, well, what the fuck? I did <laughs> Why aren't I going out every movie with him? But, you know, it's just a, it's a creative choice. And generally it's not a personal choice. So you have to learn to separate those two things and not, yeah. not take it personally. You know? yeah, Clooney's listen, listening right, right now but, and he's going, why haven't yeah, I been on any of these other movies? Exactly. Well, there's a perfect example of George Clooney, you know, and, and, and also their availability, you yeah. know, sometimes they're just not available. I know George Clooney's, you know, booked constantly. So maybe that has something to do with it too, but. You know. so, yeah, he does okay. When, yeah, I'm not worried about him. <laughs> <laughs> One of my last questions here will be, when you're making something like Drugstore Cowboy or some of these early Wes Andersons that become just comedy icon, do you know, I, I like to understand when you're there and you're making it, do you realize that it's special in the moment or does it all feel the same? I like to ask filmmakers that question. Well, uh, it varies. Um, you know, anytime I work with Wes, 
since Bottle Rocket, I, I always think we're doing something special. And, and some of his movies have been really well received. Some movies have been not as well received, you know. Uh, but I always feel that way. When I did uh, Get Him to the Greek, I thought this movie's going to be a huge hit. I mean, this movie is going to kill it, you know. And it did okay. When I did Bridesmaids, I thought, oh, you know, this will be okay. And it became this huge hit. When I did Squid and the Whale, I thought, oh, this is a nice little movie. It became kind of a cult classic, yeah. you know. Yeah. So uh, most of the time you don't really know, you know. And uh, But with Wes, I always think, okay, this is going to be a really good movie, you know. But that's, you know, just because of my ties with Wes. But, um other ones you don't know like i said i thought get him in the greek was going to knock it out of the park you know and it didn't but um you know that's probably worth a rewatch actually it is really funny it yeah. is it's um, a sequel to what well, is a sequel or a prequel forgetting for sarah marshall there's yeah. characters well, involved nick but Stoller's i don't think first yeah. movie yeah mm-hmm. that, well that was the director nick Stoller's first movie was uh forgetting sarah marshall get him in the greek was the second one which is what i did and uh, mm-hmm. then he went on to do some other movies and some tv and you know but he's out of that whole Judd Apatow group, you know, Paul's out yeah. of that group. Uh, Freaks know, and Greeks whole, crowd. Yes, right? exactly. Freaks and Greeks crowd. And, uh, you know, I'm drawing a blank on the guy. He's a young director, actor, but he's curly hair. Oh, Seth, Seth Rogen? Yeah, Seth Rogen. You know, yeah, he comes yeah. out of that and, you know, all those guys kind of do. So uh, Judd was kind of the, the, the guy, patriarch of the whole mm-hmm. You know, so I feel like everyone does have a, a different favorite Wes Anderson. Do you have one? Like for me, it's probably Grand Budapest. I I think that's I mean that's yeah. the one that kind of got recognized for you guys. But I, what Ralph Fiennes was doing, I I, I feel like everything it kind of reached the pinnacle of your powers as a collective on that one. I, don't know. I, I might agree with you on that, and and you know obviously it's. Uh, everything is kind of shaded by my experience while making the film, and we had a great experience doing that. We were in this little town in Eastern Germany. It was winter and, uh, but it was kind of, you know, magical in a way, even though it was, yeah. and, uh, you know, it was like Chicago. Thunder snow on the ground and uh, it was dark all the time, but uh, you know, uh, but there was something very magical about that. That said, even going to India, and India was difficult. It was very difficult working there and, and frustrating often. And I oftentimes felt like I came away not having done the best I could have, maybe given a certain different circumstances, because it was so kind of running gun crazy. But, you know, going there and experiencing that culture for that period of time was, was amazing. And Yeah, know, priceless. You know, so each one has a life aquatic. We were in Italy for a long time. And, you know, that was a very difficult movie being out on the water with boats and all the craziness. And, you know, it seemed like every day it was like this huge deal we were shooting. There was no small scenes, you know, and, and it was exhausting. And, and, you know, we'd go in the morning, we'd get on this boat at dawn and we'd go out and then we'd come back by dark. And they gave us, the, the Italian nurse would give us a, a patch you would put behind your ear to stop seasickness. And so, you know, I didn't, I, I was a DP operator. I had to be, I couldn't get sick, you know. And so every day I'd go and get the patch. 
And at night, I'd get back to my hotel room and I'd be like this. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was like, I said, man. So then after I've been doing this like a month or two, I go the next day, I'm going to get my patch. He goes, no, 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 no. Once a week, the patch. I said, oh, once a like, week? I've been doing this every day, you know? So all this drugs is going into me every day. And I've had, so I had a month worth of this stuff pouring into my system. So no wonder, by the end of the day, I get back to my room and the room is spinning around and I'm like, oh. <laughs> You're the yeah. drugstore guys cowboy. Hopped, yeah. Guys hopped up on the patch. You know, so I learned, but, you know, it's like, you could have told me that like a month ago, maybe, but you know, it, she saw me every day and every day she gave me the patch and it was like, oh, okay. Once, once a week. A week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not That's every funny. day. Um, so, you know, you have those types of experiences. When I was in uh, India, I got electrocuted on the train. And, oh, know, shit. Yeah, crazy stuff happened. You know, um, you just pick yourself up and keep going. <laughs> I do have one more question. Just with all the movies you're watching here for research and, you know, talk about all the French New Wave, uh, with the pandemic, a lot of us have been watching movies at home. And yeah, me too. It's, and, and, yeah, so getting out of the – do you have a a regiment uh, to put down all these films? Do you have a favorite snack? Do, do you make sure everyone's out of the room? I mean, because without the the, the theater – the, you know, it's 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 hard to really get the proper viewing experience, I feel like, at the home. So, I mean, you must be watching a lot of movies in, in the hotel room, or do they set up like a viewing room uh, for you? Well, when I'm, on, when I'm with Wes, yeah. Uh, I'm at home right now, and I have a nice Sony flat screen, a big Sony flat screen, and I typically watch them by myself. Yeah. I don't like distractions, and um, I don't know a particular snack. Occasionally, I'll have to drink a beer or a glass of wine, but... Um, you know, uh, you know, I just prefer that. And, and a lot of them, I, when the pandemic started, I, I, I'm a Turner Classic Movie Freak. And uh, I would just tape them off Turner Classic Movies. And, and I, many times I don't even watch them all the way through. You know, I'll, I'll watch half of them one night and half yeah. of them. It's like reading a novel or something, you know, and I digest it better that way. I've um, become the same. Yeah, is sometimes I watch a movie all the way through, but very rarely don't. You know, I tape them and then I just watch. You know, I watch the first half tonight, second half tomorrow, and do that kind. You know, and I and I watch a lot of old movies like Key Largo. You know, and and those types of movies that some of there was one. Jeez, uh, it was a Robert Mitchum film. Uh, boy, drawing a blank on the title, but. Uh, just so many great old movies that I had never seen before. You know? Yeah, I've been doing that too. Like Tokyo Story, I'd never seen. And I watched yeah. that the other night. Okay. And yeah. uh, I was kind of getting some Wes Anderson vibes from that because it's, it's okay, centrally maybe. shot, right? And it's, it's small. Uh, you know. oh, yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I could see that for sure. You know, he, Wes has uh, watched every movie ever made. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he knows them all. I would, I would send him a thing. Hey, I watched this the other night. Yeah, yeah, that's a classic. I love the scene with this. You know. <laughs> like, damn, I thought I was going to I thought I got him. <laughs> no, one I recently watched that I had never seen that he recommended was Bad Day at Black Rock, which oh. I'd never seen, and uh, I would recommend that to you. It's a, it's a great movie, you know? It's an old-time, you know, Bad Day at Black Rock. I won't say any more. Yeah, uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller as well. I, I, I heard that's one of your favorites, and uh, yeah, that yeah, looks yeah. really good. Yeah, it's a great one, and uh, I don't know how it holds up, but when I was younger... I remember seeing that in a theater when I was living in Chicago and it was a winter night and it just kind of captured that, that moment. And Filmo Zygmunt was one of my favorite cinematographers. Wow. So I was very influenced cool. by, 
biocinematography and they did something well the studio wanted to fire them because they did everything they could to degrade the film you know they flashed it yeah they shot fast stock they underexposed it they you know they wanted it to feel like this old picture postcard back from the old west and so they totally degraded the film and, and uh to to achieve that look which is you know most people don't like that so no. <laughs> that was beautiful right film, you know well to bring us around the world and back to chicago want to thank chris human for setting this up my buddy ah. Uh, just a he's always been patient with me we're a couple Detroit nerds so as a he's a Cubs fan and a Bears fan and uh everything else but we've got a Michigan tie together because he went to Michigan and I've lived in Michigan so but he's he's been a good buddy and I really thank him for setting this up and I thank you for getting electrocuted and uh, (laughs) drugged up by the Italian uh film crew there to to make make these pieces of art that I just sounds like a hell of a ride it's really I I very passionately love these movies that you've created and I, I really thank you for your your service to the the art and the craft well thanks it's been a, a nice journey and uh you know it has its ups and downs like anything else but i wouldn't trade it for the world i've met a lot of really great people along the way and i've been all over the world and uh lived in many other countries and uh you know it, it's you know we have our share of jerks in our business like everybody else but most of the people are really great and and that's that's the thing i like the most is just the camaraderie and the interactions with the the people you know it's it's really something i value very much so that's awesome yeah thanks so much robert really appreciate getting to talk to you all right well good luck you guys and uh you know you're both you're both detroiters is that it or yeah yeah. suburb detroit yeah (laughs) What's up? Uh, I, Royal Oak, Michigan, and Matt. I know Royal Oak. I've been there. Yeah, I've been I, in Detroit. Okay, I'm from Livonia, Farmington Hills yeah, area. Yeah. Well, I grew up in Chicago. My family had a, a a house on a lake near Cadillac, Michigan. So we used to go Cadillac. If, if you know Michigan, it's kind of like here. It's north of Grand yeah. Rapids. And um, we used to go up there and spend a lot of time in the summers and even the winters. And uh, uh, I shot part of a, uh, most of a movie we shot in Detroit called Whip It, which was... Oh, yeah. Jimmy Drew Fallon Barrymore. and Ellen Page. Yeah, Drew Barrymore and directing it. And uh, so we lived in... This was probably, I'm going to guess, 10 years ago. I don't know when it was. Eight years ago? Let's say 2008 and, or nine. Yeah, that makes about right. And, uh, you know, we lived in Detroit for that period of time. And, uh, you know, it was the summer. And the thing at that time, Detroit... Detroit was going through a pretty rough period, you know, and yeah, basically uh, since the sixties, but yeah, <laughs> it was pretty rough. And, but they had all these amazing, beautiful buildings and we found this old factory and it was, you know, because the economy was so bad, we could do use this stuff for dirt cheap, you know, and, and we built our roller rink thing in this beautiful old uh, factory. I guess it had been an auto factory or something, but you know, there was a lot of heart and soul to that town. I will say that. And, you know, uh, Still I, hope, is. I hope they kind of bring it back. And we went to Tiger Stadium. I went to the new Tiger Stadium, actually. Yeah. Uh, and it was a beautiful stadium. You know, really. It is really nice. Yeah, Bob, you're going there for opening day, yeah? I was thinking about it, man. <laughs> 
Well, I was a Cubs fan growing up. I hate to say it, but uh, and now I've been in LA for forty some years. I'm a Dodger. I'm a Cubs. Cubs number one. Dodgers number two. So that's there you we're go. always Priorities. playing each other in the NLCS. So that must be. Nice. <laughs> uh, we'll see what happens. Usually the Dodgers win. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they do. <laughs> At least lately. Ah, uh, um, cool. Well, yeah, fun. Absolute pleasure, Robert. Thank you so All much right. for coming on, everybody. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and we will see you down the road. Take care, Bye. guys. Pleasure. Yeah. See you later. Take care. Too much talking these days. These days, these days, I seem to think a lot about the things that I forgot to do.